Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Highly Functional. This is Brianne Showman, and I am joined today by three-time Olympian Jen Rines. Jen and I had a great conversation around her experience as an athlete, really diving into variability of training, why that's important for us as a runner, and also getting into injuries, why we shouldn't train through them, and what can happen if we do. Whether you are an athlete, a clinician, or a coach, I think you'll find this conversation highly valuable. So let's tune in. Jennifer, thank you for joining me today. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me. You are quite welcome. I heard you on another on a different podcast fairly recently, and I think technically you recorded it probably a year ago because it was pre when Tokyo was supposed to happen. Right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> a different time. Yeah. A different time in our lives. Uh, <laughs> I loved your message on it, which is what I wanted to dive in here with you about today. Um, but first and foremost, who are you? Um, well, I'm three-time Olympian track athlete, and I kind of did it backwards in terms of distance. I ran the 10K, I moved up to the marathon, and I went back down to the 5K when I got older because it was my favorite event. So kind of a different pattern than a normal distance runner. And currently I'm a coach with the Golden Coast Track Club in San Diego alongside my husband. And we have an elite group we train here. And I also train um, runners of all like ages and ability levels. Very cool. With your, let's kind of dive into not necessarily your Olympic experience, although we can dive into that as well, but with you going the different distances or switching up to the different distances over the span of years, what, I guess, on as far as training goes or how your body held up, like, what do you feel that impact was either positively or negatively for you? Um, I, for me going, sticking to the track, even after I moved up to the marathon, um, having, you know, part of the year where I was doing marathon training and really building that big aerobic base and then dropping back down and working on the shorter stuff, I think was a great balance instead of just getting into that long grind and staying there kind of season after season, year after year. Um, and it kept also for me, like kind of dropped once I got that aerobic base built and basically added, started to work on my speed a little bit and like fine tune some things in the gym, I had a breakthrough in the shorter events. And for me, that was like super exciting at that point in my career. So it really fired me up and kept me going for probably another, you know, like five to seven years. So just like having different focuses, I think both helped keep me healthy and just kept it very exciting as well. As you were training for those shorter distances later on in the gym, um, what sort of breakthroughs did you have and how did that impact help you? Uh, when I was younger, I, you know, I was pretty, I stuck with doing some like core work and some general strength, but I didn't actually do as much in the gym until I was probably like 31, 32 years old, where I actually went in and learned how to do proper Olympic lifts and more plyometrics and just kind of that whole side of things. So I think adding that in to my aerobic strength was like the perfect combination for me to hit those faster times in like the 1500, 3k and 5k as, as an athlete in the early to mid thirties. And that was how far in, I'm curious, cause, um, as far as that strength training, that was how far into you already being an Olympian. 
I made two Olympic teams prior to that. So it was after I'd made the team in the marathon and after I had that one was that Olympics was definitely a struggle for me in the marathon. Like I finished, I finished 34th and my teammate meddled. So that was like thrilling, but it, it was a rough go out there. And I did another marathon after that, that was a bit disappointing. And that's when I was like, I'm really going to see what I can do in this, in these shorter distances. <laughs> <laughs> I don't blame you. <laughs> what impacts Speed wise, injury wise, just maybe mentally did getting in the gym and doing more of that strength work, more of the Olympic lift technique work plyometrics have on, on you personally, on your training, on your performance. Um, it, it definitely made a huge difference. Um, especially like for me, I, in the 15, like for a 5k runner, you know, you need to have a certain amount of closing speed for the last lap for the last like K of a, of a tactical race, like to make Olympic final, to make an Olympic team. And for me, my kind of 800 and 1500 PRs, I had always been very frustrated with. I had plateaued a little bit in the 5K as well, but I'd, for the amount of raw speed I had, I just felt like, why can't I run like a faster 1500? Like it's something I felt like I should have been able to do. And once I started tuning in, tuning up the other things, um, you know, that side of training really came around. And like, that was a year that I basically ran a PB in almost every event, including like the 1500. And then even a couple of years later, I, I ran my 800 PR when I was 35, which is really unusual. So I think, you know, starting that type of training back in 2005, 2006, and then after three, four years of that, you know, I was running PRs even in distances like the 200, 400, and 800. So it really, for me, I just touched on, helped my, I think, running mechanics as well. Um, like help me get through the spots where I think what was keeping me from having those little breakthroughs. Um, and I definitely think that all, you know, it definitely kept me healthy as well. Um, you know, staying, doing that type of training, um, like in those kind of later years and probably because it was something new, I think one, you know, I think one mistake older athletes make, and I don't mean older my age now, but even an elite athlete, when they turn 30 often start to, you know, feel old, depending on how you're looking at it. And I think a lot of people just do the exact same thing year after year and don't have that new stimulus. So to help them have those like improvements and breakthroughs and don't under kind of don't realize oh, I'm getting a little less return on what I've been doing year after year. And then kind of chalk that up to, oh, well, I turned 30 or I'm in my mid thirties or whatever that may be. Whereas it isn't necessarily the age yet. You know, it's just like, do you need some new stimulus? And I love that you mentioned that because whether it's an elite level athlete or a recreational runner who enjoys running half marathons, and marathons, it's a very common place that we get into of just running not to the same distance every day, but running the same speed. And maybe if you're doing strength work, you're kind of doing the same thing Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and then the same thing Tuesday and Thursday and, and not really getting that variability happening, which can really, like you say, really hold us back or keep us from having those breakthroughs. Right. Exactly. And I definitely think it's, you know, great for people, even if you don't have specific strength trainer to, like you said, switch up your routine and, you know, for three or four weeks, you're going to do these circuits and then switch to some different circuits or take it. Even if you can't go to a class right now, you know, there's tons of virtual classes you can attend online for strength training just to, yeah, to keep, keep adding in new stimulus and not, not doing the same thing over and over. (laughs) Absolutely. 
How do you feel it impacted you by changing up, especially as you got um, into your thirties when it comes to injuries and minimizing those? Um, I think I was always very good at doing, I guess what we probably shouldn't call the extra things we often call the extra things. So, um, you know, I was pretty durable for most of my career other than like one or two major injuries. And I think that was just a combination of, of everything of staying on top of the stretching and strengthening and getting therapy, like at least once a week and yeah, just staying on top of all that, I think helped me, kept me healthy um, over the years. And I also think, you know, most elite athletes will take those extended breaks at the end of the season because you're, you know, your whole life is training and you put so much into it, you know, 24 hours a day for say six months, when you get to the end of the season, you're like ready for that two or three week break where you're doing absolutely nothing, or at least for the first 10 to 14 days. And I think that's something that, you know, I think it's good for everyone to do, but it's also harder to incorporate, you know, when you're not that your full on focus isn't training. And, and I understand it now because I still train, but, you know, I run 40 to 50 miles a week and I could pretty much just keep doing my routine. You know, it feels like year round, but it's still important to schedule in those downtimes, like where you give your body a chance to recover. And I think a lot of people, you know, running or training is their stress release. So they're not that excited about taking the break. They just want to be, you know, in the routine or with their friends training or doing the same thing kind of that day in day out, even the week after they run the Boston marathon or that type of thing. So I think it's having those kind of cycles was also what kept me healthy over the years. So I think it's important for everyone to factor in, even if you're not an elite runner. And that's a great thing to point out there is that you do have as an elite runner, you have those training cycles. Um, but as recreation, like you said, we use for stress relief or to hang out with friends. We kind of forget that we need to have those breaks in there as well. Even if it is just, you know what, you're going on vacation, go on vacation, have fun versus go on vacation, still train every day. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. I mean, race destination trips are great, but if you're going to take a break, then yeah, it should, it should be a break. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. How, I guess, give us an idea of when we're looking at training cycles, whether it's for you personally, or maybe some of your just recreational runners that you train what that looks like to make sure it's not ramping up to this high level all the time, or like just being this constant thing all the time. Like what's kind of a training cycle look like for maybe the recreational runner? Um, I'll usually start with, you know, the event that they're most excited about and the couple races that they're really peaking towards, whether that's a marathon or whether it's a local 5k or 10k and work backwards from there. So the training cycle is typically anywhere from eight weeks to 14 to 16 weeks for a marathon. So it's starting at the end point, kind of planning the training backwards. So they're going to peak at that right, you know, week or two before the big event and then building, you know, kind of throughout the, the even the cycle itself, you'll have a couple harder weeks with then a lighter week. So kind of even incorporating mini cycles um, along the whole way. And then typically taking that break after, you know, the big race or the big series of races they're training for, and then starting all over again in another, you know, two or three weeks. And I think it's important to do that even, you know, when you're doing virtual races right now, 
Like it's, you're still running hard. A lot of people, you know, or even, I think they're probably because they're, you know, have more, maybe more time, maybe working from home. People are running PRs and like getting super excited. And it's like, okay, but you still need to like have those down times, um, you know, even again, if you're kind of staying at home and not doing all your typical things. And I think for me personally, um, both on a personal level, but as a coach too, like, I think that's where sometimes our wearables and different like data apps can be a detriment to us because we want to see those little extra like trophies and stars on Strava (laughs) and all those different things. But like that shouldn't be an everyday thing. That should be a maybe once uh, every couple weeks at most type thing that we're really training at that level. Right. It, It should always be more, more cyclical. And I think it's good on a break to, you know, not be obviously you're not going to be posting on, on Strava, but even, you know, not, not being quite a, if you check your health trackers every day, maybe like still chill out unless you have a time where you're not feeling well or something kind of chill out with that and then get back on it. See what your baseline is like after that week or two break. Yeah. Um, I just had a client of mine. She had a, it was a five day fishing trip and she's like, I'm just not going to be able to train at all during it. And she goes, but I'm totally okay with that. She's in a good mental place on all that. And uh, came back and I think it was like, she's up in Northern Wisconsin. So it was like barely above zero in snow. And she ran like one of her fastest 10K times on a training oh, run. Wow. Like, <laughs> I guess her legs like you. Yeah. <laughs> they like the break. <laughs> so breaks can be good. <laughs> and, I mean, I, you see that happen with athletes. I mean, I say fairly frequently too, you know, they get bummed out because they have a injury they need to back off with, or you get sick and you have to like take that five to seven days off. And then maybe you actually kind of, your body needed that break. Cause then a week or two later, all of a sudden you have that great workout or that great performance. So yeah, sometimes like these, you know, the things that bum us out, the little injuries or the little illnesses, the minor ones, you know, are the things just your body needs a little break and it bounces back just fine. (laughs) I think sometimes too, it's like, it's just our body's way of telling us like, okay, you're not going to stop unless I do something. (laughs) I totally agree. (laughs) (laughs) So on that note, when we are talking injuries, um, I know you had a personal story, which I do want you to share, but, um, as well, but what's kind of your take on training through injuries? What's okay to train through what's not okay to train through. And when is it like, is there an okay time? And when is it okay time to really push it with an injury? Uh, I think almost all the time, you know, it makes sense to, to back off and like, depending on what it, you know, what it is to try to take care of it, calm down the inflammation, because most of the time, um, you know, someone's training for their, like they may be training for Boston marathon, obviously the date isn't going to change, but if you have an injury and that's been, you know, say continually getting a little bit worse and now it's really affecting you, my philosophy is always, Hey, let's back off. Let's like, let it settle down and, see if we can get it to come around, even though you may have to, we may need to re to pull back on what the goal is. Um, I mean, typically trying to push through something, it, it, it just doesn't work. You know, typically once something's getting worse, it's going to get exponentially worse if you don't try to take care of it. And I mean, I feel the same, you know, same way with, with illnesses. Um, my first coach after college was basically like, 
if something was a little off and we had to like pull a workout, he never had me try to do the workout the next day. Um, he would always say, okay, we're just going to, we would typically go like Tuesday, Friday. And he would like, okay, we're just going to come back and do Friday's workout as long as you're feeling better. And that got me out of that habit of being like, okay, well maybe tomorrow will be better. Cause if you have a virus or, um, bacterial infection, it's probably not going to be better in 24 hours where you're going to be able to hit a really high level workout. You know, it's just most likely. And it's sometimes you try to do that workout and then you get in that hole of setting yourself back another two to four days and start that, that bad cycle. So my philosophy is always, sometimes you just have to let it go and give yourself a day or two and then come back and see if you're able to get back on track for the next, next workout. And with, you know, with injuries, like I've mostly had soft tissue injuries. So those are those, you know, kind of dicey ones that you have to decide, you know, should I try to run today? Should I try to do my workout today? And I feel like that's, I feel like it's still best to be conservative and try to go get treatment, stop the inflammation, try to see someone who can help you figure out systemically where it's coming from. Um, and definitely if something feels like bone, I think it's best to definitely shut it down. Don't put pressure on it and get the MRI, you know, if needed, if it doesn't, if you don't feel that pain clearing, clearing up quickly. And I think it's, as far as with you mentioning, like, just take that time off if you're not feeling well. Like, it's important to, like, as an athlete, if you're working with a coach, yes, there's a training plan in front of you. But we also need to remember, like, we have a body that feels a certain way. And we need to adapt that training plan based on how our body's feeling, whether it's just you didn't sleep much last night, or you have a lot of stress at work, or you do have an illness or an injury going on. Like, we need to be able to give ourselves that grace. Yeah, definitely. I think everyone should realize like every training schedule is adaptable. It's like never set in stone. And I would say, you know, even the best athletes, you know, kind of like you're whoever you're like, you know, running hero is, it's probably never had a perfect training cycle. You know, even if it's like Eloy Kipchoge, you know, no one's, no one goes through like a marathon training cycle that's absolutely perfect. So, and then, you know, it's the same for everyone. So it's definitely important. Yeah. Like even if you're just having a rough day to give yourself a break and decide, yeah, I may not hit the times I had down for today, but I do feel like, I feel like doing the workout. So I'll just do it, but chill it out a little. Or when you, those days that you're really not feeling well, it's just like, Hey, I'm going to go home and just go relax. <laughs> for <sure>. Yeah. <laughs> and I think too, with injury, it's important to remember that taking a break doesn't necessarily mean full shutdown. It could mean like getting into a pool if it's your foot that's bothering you or um, you know, modifying your strength program or something to that nature. That doesn't necessarily mean have to be 100% stopping training. It's just changing what you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. And you can stay, you know, very aerobically fit by just if you're able to do some cross training and it isn't bothering the injury through like all those methods, whether it's swimming, cycling, elliptico, you know, you can keep that aerobic like work workload pretty good and keep that aerobic capacity up. So when you are able to start running most of the time, you know, you won't even have lost all that much. So I think that's definitely important and important to try to get in and see someone who can help you figure out like what's causing your problem. Cause I think a lot of times if you're hurting in a certain area, you definitely need to ice that area and massage that area. But then you also need to figure out where, you know, kind of what's going wrong up the chain, whether it's hips, shoulders, 
coming from the feet, whatever it is, you need to have someone kind of assess that so you can start getting to the root of the problem and kind of start your exercise strengthening or stretching exercises to get yourself like over the hump with that as well. I'm so glad you mentioned that because it's so it's not always me just telling people find the root of the problem. <laughs> and it's totally understandable if you're not an experienced athlete. If you have severe pain somewhere, you're just going to focus on that, you know, and just keep. And I also think it's important to remind people once you've iced or once you've worked on something, leave it alone and don't think about it. You know, if you're going to do that, you need to do it two or three times a day. That I mean, that totally makes sense, but you don't want to be at work or at home on your computer, you know, kind of like fiddling with something because it kind of keeps your, your body engaged with that and your mind firing, kind of thinking about it. So I like try to remind people as well, like you take care of it, have your plan and execute it, but then do your other stuff, you know, and don't be thinking about it all day. Cause I definitely think breaking that kind of mind body connection does allow it to rest and get better faster. Yeah. That's my bad habit. I, uh, being that I'm a clinician as well, I know how to self-treat a lot of stuff right away. So it's like, oh, I can do this to it. And then a couple hours later, I can do this to it. It's like, no, you need to stop. You need the break from treatment. Exactly. <laughs> now let's take a quick break to talk about Equip Foods. Equip Foods is a supplement line, but what I really love about them is their products are made with 100% real food products. There's no fillers, there's no chemicals, there's nothing artificial in it. So everything that you are putting into your body when you consume their products is good for you. And they don't just have the normal protein and pre-workout type supplements. They also have products for decreasing inflammation, for joint health, for circulation, for all sorts of things that just help you be an overall healthier person. So go check out everything Equip Foods has to offer at equip, E-Q-U-I-P, foods.com. And at checkout, if you use code F-I-X-15, that is F-I-X-1-5, you can save 15% on your order. You can also get a link to Equip Foods and all my other partners at getyourfixpt.com slash partners. And now let's get back to our conversation. Just to, not to scare people into worst case scenario, but I kind of want to, I would love if you would share your story about racing with your injury. Yeah, so I was really fortunate. I said almost all my, my career to not have any, you know, major injuries other than some tendonitis here or there. Um, but when I made my third Olympic team in the 5k, um, I was like super excited because it was my favorite event and I made the team and training was going great, um, heading over to Beijing. And as soon as I hit the ground over there, my planner started bothering me and it got pretty inflamed and just kept getting worse and worse, but I can continue to train on it since I was at the Olympics and I was 34 and I was, you know, getting great treatment every day. So that, I think that's probably basically getting work done every day is what allowed me to kind of keep going. Um, but it was definitely like, if it had been any other situation, like if I was just in the middle of the season, I would have pulled the plug on the next few races, kind of taken a step back to cross train, let it calm down and see if we could get it better and then get back for say the next, you know, the next block of races after that. But the Olympics doesn't move. 
And, you know, so in this was my one scenario where I did keep training on something that was pretty injured. Um, but I, you know, I was still able to run some good workouts. So I was feeling pretty good going into the, the first round of the 5k. And even, um, in my heat, I, you know, typically closing speed wasn't my like strongest point. So I felt like I had to be on my toes to kind of execute that last K to make sure I'd make the final, but I felt great that day. I was like very confident that I was going to have like a great finish and I was going to be, you needed to be top six. And I was like, you know, didn't feel like I needed to push the pace earlier in the race. So, um, the last quarter I was in fifth place in the right position and right at 300 to go, I felt something pop in the foot that had been sore. And I was able to, I think I lost one more spot, but I was, I held on to that sixth place to automatically qualify for the final, but I knew I'd done something bad. <laughs> so <laughs> I got through all the press interviews and then saw my husband and was like, this is, this is not good. And my, he was also, um, my husband is also my coach. And so, yeah, it was, we knew it was bad. And I had a lot of great people to work with over there to try to get it better, but there's really not, it's like, you knew at that point, there wasn't a lot they could do. And I didn't get the MRI until later. So basically since I made the final, I decided to run on an injured because this was the Olympics. And I'd also never run an, an Olympic final before because I didn't make the final when I was younger in my first Olympics in the 10K. So I watched from the stands and then I ran the marathon in 2004. So I watched all the track finals from the stands. So I was like, I'm definitely going out there and running, even though this like could be bad for, for my future because I'm older and I'm most likely knew I probably wouldn't make another Olympic team. So I got a lidocaine shot before I went in the call room to try to numb the area, but I have a really fast metabolism. So I could already feel it again by the time I was out on the track doing strides. And I was fortunate that the race was extremely slow and tactical because in my state, I would, I probably would have gotten laughed in another scenario, but we started like extremely slow. And even then my perception of pace was off because I knew we were slow, but we were way slower than like I thought we were when I saw the split. But basically that allowed me to be with the other women for the first part of the race. And I think I finished 14th out of 15 um, people because another woman I knew was also injured. Um, but yeah, I still, you know, it, it definitely wasn't an ideal scenario, but since I'd never been in Olympic final, I was like, I'm doing it no matter what. And, you know, I made it around um, and then got the MRI afterwards that showed I had torn it. And then I'd done a little more damage, but nothing too severe um, running on it injured, but there's definitely no other scenario. I would have run on it knowing that I was that injured other than the Olympic final that I'd never <laughs> made as a younger athlete. <laughs> Can't blame you for that one. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> what was treatment and rehab like once you got back then for all of that? Um, it was kind of, well, different than normal in the sense that since it was the, I had planned on finishing the season, but of course now I couldn't at this point. So I actually um, changed we changed our plane tickets and just went straight to the Costa Brava in Spain <laughs> and took a little vacation. So I didn't really do anything um, for like 20 days, like anything to treat the foot. Um, and then once I got home, I like 
talked to, you know, the experts that I always take advice from and then made my appointments and went to get treatment. But yeah, they, even the doctors I saw were kind of like, what have you been doing? And I was like, nothing. I'm just waiting to see what you tell me. And they, I was like, well, my season was, they were kind of confused, but it was like, well, the Olympics happened. I'm like, there was nothing else for me to do. So I didn't, you know, t- I didn't try to get on it right away and try to get it, get it better. So, I mean, the, the funniest thing about, I mean, this isn't like specific to that injury, but it's funny how quickly your fitness can change. Like whether you're an elite athlete or a recreational athlete, because, you know, the first day I, I got treated, he's, you know, said, Hey, why don't you go just like run a mile or two and then see how it feels. And I, I'd like some feedback. So I, I went out for a short run. And I remember thinking if anyone saw me right now, they would never believe that I was in the Olympic final, like just 20 days ago. Like there's no, no one would believe it. Cause I, you know, I was jogging, but you know, could probably couldn't have broken nine minute mile and it just been in like the best shape of my life. So it just is, it's, I think it's amazing kind of what our bodies can and can't do and how fast it can change. But, um, that was a little tangent, but from there, um, you know, what really helped me with the treatment was actually, um, I found someone who's like in, an expert in fascial work and just in a way that I, I just, he's very unique, you know, it's like a little bit different than anyone I've ever seen. Um, his name's Jeremy Graham, he's up in Canada and working with him is kind of what I felt like got me. I did stayed up there and got some intensive work kind of like seeing him every day or every other day um, for a couple of weeks in that. Um, then I was also getting the planner measured with the 3D ultrasound and seeing like each time it got measured, it would get a millimeter less thick. So I was seeing like the improvement as well. So that's basically what I did to get better. And I think he was also like fixing things up the chain that were, were causing it as well. <laughs> awesome. I, I, so I was in, I don't think I told you this on the phone. I was in a, I had a sprained my midfoot pretty darn good over the summer and was in a boot for eight weeks, had PRP done. And uh, yeah, when I started, returning back, I started a run walk program and everything. And I was like at the park thinking, like, I just wouldn't like justify myself to all these people of I'm just coming off injury. Like this is not my normal fitness level. <laughs> yeah. It is funny. It's always funny how fast it can change, but you know, that's the way it is. No matter whoever you are. <laughs> and, yeah. The funny thing for me was it's different now, but it kind of da- shows my age like in back in 2008, it was right before they had technically approved PRP as a treatment because at that time I didn't get it because it was considered blood out and back in, even though obviously it's in no way cheating or blood doping, but I think they changed that in the beginning of 2009. So I looked into it and then realized I was like, I think it's too much of a gray area. So I wasn't able to, to do the PRP. So I don't have any experience with like getting that treatment. Yeah. That's interesting that I, they viewed it as more of the blood doping side of things for a while with that. Yeah. I mean, I think it was more just the technicality of it. And then they, then they changed it. Cause yeah, yeah it was silly. <laughs> I can see why you did not do it though. <laughs> right. But technically you got to follow the rules. So. <laughs> yes. Yes. If you want to compete, you do. Absolutely. <laughs> if someone's listening to this and just kind of a recreational athlete doing kind of the same thing every single day or week to week, what are like, 
maybe two or three things that you can suggest to them that they can kind of start changing up to start getting that variability of training in, but not maybe like necessarily overstress their body with too much change? Um, the first thing I suggest is doing some strides or sprints, just because I think that's good for health in general. And, you know, so basically suggesting make sure you do a prop, do a good warm up, like run at least 10 to 15 minutes easy, do some gentler strides, and then do some quicker ones for 20 to 30 seconds, you know, with maybe a minute to 90 seconds rest in between. So, and you could even start with four to six and kind of build up to eight to 10 um, and do that once a week. Cause I think that's like, just, you know, that kind of having that high intensity um, is really important and it'll help your speed. Well, you know, as a runner as well. So I would suggest doing that, say picking one day to do that and then pick another day where you do, you know, an extended run a little bit faster than normal, but you know, maybe 20 to 30 seconds a mile um, faster than just if you run your typical easy run pace and start with just 10 minutes of that and, you know, build up to 20 or 25, depending on what your like weekly mileage is and in comfort level. So I think just adding in like a little variability, I think, you know, makes like a huge difference. And then some of those other days, you know, your average pace might to feel a little easier and you might start running a little quicker. Um, so yeah, I would, those would be my two, I think my two main, main starting points without, you know, following a specific training plan. Yeah, no, I think that's a great tips to throw in there for sure. And you can also, if someone isn't comfortable, if they're like, I'm just not, I just don't feel that great trying to run fast for 20 or 30 seconds. They can, you can also, if you have a day that you do hop on the bike, you can also do them as bike sprints as well. And I think if someone's a little worried about impact or mechanics, like doing some good 20 or 30 hard bike sprints is, is a great option as well. Very cool. Speaking of mechanics, you did mention kind of going back to the um, your strength training when you incorporated that, you mentioned how that helped your running technique a little better, your mechanics. What did you notice change once you started strength training? Um, I would say, I mean, I just noticed my, I'm definitely more of a, um, I don't have great feel. So I noticed in videos, I could see visual differences for me. I don't have a lot of good feel. So I need to kind of see the videos so I can like see, <laughs> and it also helps me, you know, correct things. So me, for me, I could see it visually and simply I, my speed got a lot better. Um, and we always did, um, you know, time short sprints and time hill sprints. So I was able to like see a dramatic difference from what I could do in the past to what I could do once I did more strength training. So for me, like it, it was more, I knew I was running faster and like feeling good and feeling fast. I said, I don't have great, you know, feel in terms of exactly <laughs> feeling what my body's doing as I do it. So, but visually I can go back and I could like see like quite a big difference as well. <laughs> and I'm going to, and maybe it's because I have the same thing. I'm going to say you're not alone. That a lot of people have that same issue. Like there's a lot of us out there. Yeah. I know myself at the gym quite a bit and I'll look at it later. I'm like, really? Like that's what that looked like. I thought it was doing it perfect. Exactly. And I think it is, it's helpful for anyone. If you're, if there is something you're trying to work on to grab a video yourself or have someone grab a vi video and take a look at it because yeah, some people are just, you know, they're, it's easier for them to like make those changes and like, I get it. You don't have to see it, but I'll probably similar to what you're saying. If like, I'm trying to cue something when I'm doing, you know, drills, 
sometimes it's like, I think I'm cueing it, but it's, it's not really happening. So it's like, once I see that, then it's, then it makes it a little bit easier. Whereas I would have felt like I was over cueing it if I hadn't seen it like visually. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And I can say with all the running analyses I do, when I get videos back from people more often than not, they're kind of like, I didn't realize this looks so bad. (laughs) No wonder I'm injured. (laughs) So we don't know what we really look like, I promise. (laughs) And then one, something that helped me a lot later in my career was doing something called Feldenkrais, like working with a practitioner and doing some awareness through movement lessons. Um, yeah, it was like interesting because what after I hurt my foot, I that with the plantar injury, I did go to orthotics um, in 2009, but never felt totally comfortable in them. And the following year in two, 2010, I was just kind of struggling. Like I was kind of doing good workouts, but not racing at the level of the workout. And I'd always been able to, I would say equal or almost compete better than I worked out. So it was like that first time it was like, I'm doing these really good workouts, but my races are kind of mediocre. And, um, yeah, I'd never really experienced that before. And I kind of like along with my husband's, um, help, and encouragement, <laughs> he kind of realized like, I think, you know, you're stuck in the same patterns and you're just trying harder and trying harder and it's not working. You're just trying to do the same things and work harder and you're not getting the return for it. Um, and for me doing like some of the awareness through movement lessons and working with a Feldenkrais practitioner was really helpful and kind of just teaching my body like, oh, there's another way you can move. And in like, I kind of worked on that for probably eight months to a year. And then I had a really good season in 2011 and the mechanics like came around and it was, for me, that was a way of kind of getting like unstuck. So I'll occasionally do those now if I'm feeling like, you know, you're stuck in a pattern where you're trying too hard. And I think that happens to many of us because, you know, you just are doing the same things, running the same way. And over time, you know, you just keep trying harder, but like, and you don't, it's like for me, because I don't have great feel, I kind of needed to teach my body like, oh, there's another, there's an easier way to do this and almost like trick it into, <laughs> into doing it. <laughs> and I, I'm glad you mentioned, I was going to ask if it, you didn't, I'm glad you mentioned how long it took you. Cause so many times people want to work on changing something and they think it's going to happen overnight or that all of a sudden two weeks later, because they've been working on it, it should just be better. Right. A long, like it takes a body a long time to break those old patterns and right. create those new ones. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I think there's also with most of us, there's a lot of layers to peel back. So it's going to take, uh, you know, probably an extended time of working on one thing that, okay, oh, now I realize I can use this muscle better or instead of overusing this one, but then the next thing down the line is like, oh, I can do this other thing, but it, you know, they kind of build on each other. So I think it takes some time to kind of unwind our, our bad habits sometimes. <laughs> it definitely does. And I'm curious for you, when you were doing that, if you notice like not so different injuries showing up, but all of a sudden like different areas being sore that you weren't like used to feeling before, or if you had anything like that. I didn't have anything um, really specific like that, but I did. Uh, that's why I mentioned the orthotics. I did like, yeah, two years later, all of a sudden I was like, I, these feel terrible. I can't wear these anymore. You know, it was like, they felt okay. And then I just realized one day that 
I felt better without them than with them. Cause I didn't wear them for workouts. I just wore them on easy runs. So I think once I got to the point where things were better mechanically, I like, it's like, I didn't need them anymore and actually felt better like without the orthotics. So I was able to kind of get myself <laughs> out of those. Awesome. Good job. <laughs> <laughs> From the person who loves barefoot and minimalist. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Jennifer, if anyone has any other specific questions for you, if they just want to follow you, where can they find you at? Um, I'm on Instagram at Jen Rines and Twitter at Jen Rines. And um, we're goldencoasttrackclub.com. And my website is jenrines.com. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate you getting on and talking here. Talking. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was fun. <laughs> I really hope you enjoyed this week's conversation on Highly Functional. Before I go, I want to talk to you about my rope climb training program. In order to climb a rope efficiently and effectively, you need both strength and proper technique. If you have one without the other, it's going to be a lot more difficult to climb. You're going to use a lot more energy and you have more chance of failing. So if you want to be more efficient with your rope climbs in order to have more chance of success at your next race, pick up my rope climb training program. You can check it out at getyourfixpt.com courses, along with all my other online programs. Thanks again for tuning in today. And now it's time to go out and be highly functional. <laughs>